Where's Mark at? Mark, I'm trying a new system to record. Let's hope it does it this morning. You guys don't know this, but it's like for weeks, recording the sermon hasn't worked out for whatever reason. Like it'll cut off at like a minute, it'll cut off at 10 minutes, and I'll have to come in here and redo it. So we're praying and believing that it's going to work this morning, and it's going to get it the first time. Sometimes you guys don't know what happens behind the curtain, so it's fun to tell you. So today we are going to wrap up chapter 3 in our study of the book of Colossians. And uh, in a sense, we're coming full circle today. I need to get rid of this or we're going to get feedback. In a sense, we're coming full circle today because Paul gets really practical and he tells us how to live out what he told us what to do in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. In those verses, he said we are to seek things above. We are to set our minds on things above. In other words, you and I have got to have a heavenly mindset. We must see everything here on earth from a biblical perspective so that then we'll know and understand how to live our lives while we're here on this earth. And having a biblical perspective, it means we see things from God's perspective. And then we live our lives according to what He desires. And when we live like this, it changes our priorities to reflect His will. Living our lives from God's perspective, it's the key to righteous and victorious living. God gives us the power to live for him now through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to dive into how to live out and how to have a biblical perspective in our relationships both at home and at work. Because it's these kinds of relationships that become the foundation for what we have in Jesus. So the practical instructions that Paul gives in our text today, they deal with relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, and employers and employees. So in all of these relationships, we have got to look above for us to truly understand our roles and our functions. And with that understanding, we'll be able to put Jesus first in our marriages, in our families, and in our work. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that we've got the opportunity as a family to come forward today and to hear your word. We ask, Jesus, that you'd give us ears to hear and you'd press upon us to have hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4. So if you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. We've got plenty of them right here on the shelf that you can borrow. Or you can follow along up on the screen, either way. Paul says here, beginning in verse 18, once I get the slide clicker to work, let's try it again. There we go. He says here, beginning in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husband loves your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
So let's dive into the first relationship that Paul talks about today, and that's marriage. And we're going to begin with wives. So ladies, you're first today. Paul says in verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Now this seems pretty obvious and straightforward, right? We could all pack up and go home right here, couldn't we? (laughs) Wives, submit. End of story. I wish it were that easy. Unfortunately, submission can be a very challenging subject because there are so many varying opinions of what submission should look like in a marriage. And if we look at it through the lens of what culture says, it gets pretty muddy very quickly. Some might think this means that the wife should obey pretty much everything that the husband says. Others might say that it means the wife should be completely passive while the husband makes all the decisions and doesn't even consult with his wife. And still others might think this means that a wife should take care of the house and take care of the kids. And then the husband, all he's going to do is go to work, bring home the money, and then when he gets done with that, he comes home, sits in front of the TV, and watches sports all day. That's what culture will say. And to complicate matters further, there's been widespread wife abuse in our culture. One in three women have been victims of physical violence from an intimate partner. One in seven women have been severely uh, victimized by physical violence by an intimate partner. And 95% of men who physically abuse their partners also psychologically abuse them. And in case you might be thinking that domestic violence, whether physical or verbal, is not a problem for the church, you couldn't be more wrong. Chuck Colson had this to say about this subject on his radio program, Breakpoint. He said this in 2009. Quote, A woman I'll call Marlene went to her pastor for help. My husband is abusing me, she told him. Last week he knocked me down and kicked me. He broke one of my ribs. Marlene's pastor was sympathetic. He prayed with Marlene and he sent her home. Try to be more submissive, he advised. After all, your husband is your spiritual head. Two weeks later, Marlene was dead killed by an abusive husband. Her church could not believe it. Marlene's husband was a Sunday school teacher and a deacon. How could he have done such a thing? Tragically, studies reveal that spousal abuse is just as common within the evangelical churches as anywhere else. This means that about 25% of Christian homes witness abuse of some kind. End quote. It's pretty staggering, isn't it? Unfortunately, that kind of stuff is true. And that's sad. Now, the statistics that I just shared with you, they were very heavy on physical abuse. But we cannot also forget about the harm that can come from verbal and emotional abuse as well. And so, ladies, if you're in a relationship right now in which there's abuse, I want to encourage you to get help. Don't delay. Get help. I'm here. I'll be glad to help you in any way I can. I'll be glad to try to direct you to resources that can get you the help. But don't stay in a relationship in which there's abuse involved. Seek help. Now, let's jump, in, let's jump in and let's talk about what does this text mean by that word submit? What does the Bible mean here by saying wives need to submit to their husbands? First of all, I need to say this. It does not mean that the wife is a doormat. It also does not mean that the wife is some sort of second-class citizen or is inferior to the husband. The Greek word that's used in our text for submit is a military term. And it means to put yourself in rank under another. In other words, it means that the wife is subordinate to the husband in terms of authority. 
And now before we get too carried away about this, we first need to look above. We've got to look above because when we look above, we see that Jesus submits to the authority of his Father in heaven. And we get a much clearer picture of what Paul means here for the wife submitting to her husband. The Son and the Father, they're co-equal. They are both equally God, and neither is greater in value. Similarly, a husband and a wife are made in the image of God, and they are joined together as one, and both are equal as human beings before God. Neither are greater in value than the other. And one of the reasons that we know this is because 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says that husbands and wives are equal partners. So husbands and wives are equal in value before God. But God has given husbands and wives different roles and different functions within marriage. And for wives, this means that you are to submit to your husband's authority. You are to submit in the same way that Jesus willingly submits to his father. You are to align yourself under the leadership of your husband. However, this does not mean that you submit to your husband in everything. Your submission is limited to what is fitting in the Lord, as the text says. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, wives, you are to submit within the boundaries of God's will. You are to get behind your husband's decisions and follow his lead as long as his decisions do not require you to disobey God. A wife's ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. So if your husband were to ask you to sin or do something contrary to God's word, you do not owe him your submission. Ultimately, a wife's submission to her husband is an act of obedience to the Lord. And a huge part of wives submitting to their husbands, it centers around respect. When Paul is summing up his teaching on the roles of husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5, rather than repeating what he had already said about wives submitting to their husbands, he instead uses the word respect. That's in verse 33 of chapter 5. And this word respect really gets to the heart of submission. To respect your husband means you allow him to lead. It means encouraging him and building him up. Wives complete, not compete with their husbands. You can put that in your blank. Wives complete, not compete with their husbands. This is extremely important. Too often there is frictions in marriage because of this right here. And it all began. It all began with the first sin in the Garden of Eden. After Eve ate the fruit, God confronts Eve. And he says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He says, And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. There has been a tension and there's been this tug of war going on for control and who makes decisions in that marriage relationship ever since. Wives, God specifically designed you to be your husband's helper. It's not helpful, nor is it respectful, when you're overly critical or demanding or nagging, or if you speak negatively about your husband to others. This does not mean that wives don't have a voice or that they should just passively go along with their husband while keeping their thoughts and their feelings all to themselves. That's not what it means. Wives absolutely have a voice, but they should use it in a way that is respectful to their husbands because if a wife holds back her feelings under the guise of being submissive, this is only going to create more distance in the relationship. And so wives, if your husband is caught up in some kind of sin, it's important for you to confront him about it. 
And 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, gives you the framework for how to do this. Peter says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Now, this does not mean you don't have a voice. It just means that the main emphasis for helping to change your husband is your behavior, not in you lecturing him. A husband who is disobedient to God will not be won over by a wife who preaches or nags at him. That's not going to do it. (laughs) Speaking the truth but doing it in love is the goal with attitude and actions that back it up. And to understand how to properly submit to your husband's authority, you need to look above. You've got to look above. Look to God. Look to what his word says and not to the wisdom that the world offers. Just as the church, as the bride of Christ, submits to the bridegroom, which is Jesus, this is the model for how wives are to submit to their husbands. Look above. Now, there's a lot more that I could say about this, but I've got to move on or I'm going to run out of time. And honestly, each one of these sections about talking about husbands or talking about wives or employers to employees or children to parents, they all could be their own separate sermon. I just don't have time this morning. So, ladies, you can breathe. Husbands, I'm going to move on to you now. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, this isn't optional. This is a command. Always, always remember, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. You cannot command a feeling, but you absolutely can command a commitment. And at the core of how to love your wife is commitment. And to understand how to do this, we first have got to look above. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. It's a holy union between a man and a woman. Just as Jesus loved the church, so is the husband to love his wife. And how did Jesus love the church? He loved her to death, literally. He laid down his very life for his bride, the church. Now, to love your wife is to love her compassionately, righteously, and sacrificially through a strong commitment to pursue her well-being. Now, the good news is is that even if it appears that the feelings of love have died in a marriage, there is always an opportunity for them to be renewed. And there's no excuse here. We cannot hide behind the thought that says, I just don't love her anymore. That's not even valid. The Bible doesn't say, love your wife if you are compatible with her. The Bible doesn't say, love your wife if you're physically attracted to her. No, the Bible commands the husband to love his wife. And if you obey, then the feelings will certainly follow. There's always hope, no matter how hopeless it may seem at times. Loving your wife is all about obedience to God. We husbands are responsible. If, there are no, if, there's, if there's this feeling that there's no love in the marriage, it's our own fault. It's our own fault. We've got to own it. We can't try to excuse it or try to blame others for it. Own it. You might say, well, hang on a minute. You don't know how she treats me. Love your wife. You don't know what it's like living with her. Love your wife. You don't understand what we're going through. Love your wife. But I've done so much for her. She's done so little for me. Love your wife. And on and on and on we can go. And the answer is going to be the same. 
love your wife. No matter what excuse that I as a husband could come up with, love is a command which I am responsible to obey. If I were to blame my problems in my marriage on my wife, the word of God is going to put it right back on me. Because look how the bride of Christ has treated Jesus all throughout history. And yet Jesus has always faithfully, compassionately, righteously, and sacrificially loved her. In fact, he loved her so much that he gave his life for her. Now, you and I may not ever have to lay down our lives literally for our wives. But every day we've got a choice to die to ourselves and live to serve her. We can't act like a dictator in our marriage expecting our wives and our family to wait on us every time we bark out orders on what needs to be done. Paul didn't say rule over your wives. He said love your wives. In fact, he said love them and do not be harsh with them. In the New King James, the word used for harsh is bitter. And in the Greek, being bitter is regularly associated with disappointment, hate, and anger. Now, bitterness takes root when we as husbands focus on the sins or the shortcomings of our wives. It's when we entertain disappointment due to unmet expectations. And when we allow this stuff to take root in us, we often lash out in ways that are ungodly. And Paul had to have known that right after telling wives to submit to their husbands, that many of us men would try to help our wives obey this command by asserting our own authority. Which is why I believe after telling us that we're to love our wives, that he adds that we are not to be harsh with them. We should be leading with gentleness and with love in our homes. It's what we talked about last week about what to put on, right? Put on compassion and kindness and gentleness and love and all those things. So according to the Bible, we as husbands are the designated leader in our home. But that does not give us the right to be harsh to our wives act like a dictator, or trample all over her feelings. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says that we are to treat our wives as we should so that our prayers are not hindered. How we treat our wives affects us spiritually. Ever feel like you're in a spiritual desert and God isn't listening to you? Check how you're treating your wife. We as husbands have a tendency to bottle up our feelings. And when we get frustrated and we don't have a way to deal with this, it builds up this reservoir of this unsettled anger and hurt feelings. And as this reservoir grows, the more we will have this temptation to want to blame our wives. And at some point, if we don't deal with these frustrations, that reservoir is going to bust open, and all kinds of damage is going to happen as a result of that. Listen, our wives are not perfect, and neither are we. Just as much as we may have this laundry list about her that could lead us down that road of bitterness, she probably has a much longer list about us concerning things that we're not doing that would fulfill her. But we are the spiritual leaders of our homes. We are. We are responsible for taking the initiative and guarding against treating her harshly. So we look above on how to love them. We look to the example that Jesus so clearly gave us. We love our wives just as Jesus loved his church. Now, the first relationship that we covered today was about marriage. And in order to have a successful and fruitful marriage, we have got to look above. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. Jesus loved his church so much that he laid down his life for her. And the church's responsibility in this is to submit to Jesus in everything. So wives are supposed to 
to submit to the authority of their husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands are to love their wives and not be harsh with them. So now Paul is going to transition and talk about the family relationship. Here's what he says in verse 20. He says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now when we see the words obey in everything, many of us immediately start to question that and we start trying to think up all these these exceptions. We've got to remember the context to which Paul gives this command. The context was, he had just finished explaining to us how husbands and wives are supposed to interact with one another. If children see the model that they should see in a home with a husband who sacrificially loves his, loves his wife and a wife who submissively respects her husband, then they're going to have the right foundation for themselves to live out what Paul commands here about obeying. The only real limit to obey in everything is if parents were to try to uh, demand something that's contrary to God's word. That's the only limit. Children who obey their parents please the Lord. They please the Lord. Parents need to be teaching their children the spiritual motivation for their obedience. What is that? It pleases the Lord. And there's a promise from the word of God to children who obey this command. It comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And here it is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with the promise. In verse 3, here's the promise. So that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So not only does it please the Lord, it's going to bless you. You're going to be blessed if you obey your parents. And parents, it's our responsibility to discipline our children. Fathers, you should take the lead in this, because you're the leader of the home. Too often, we fathers have a tendency to check out and we delegate this responsibility to the mother. I was thinking about this and it reminded me that, um, it reminded me of the Garden of Eden. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? Where was Adam when Eve was tempted? He was right next to her, right? In other words, he watched the whole thing happen. He was passive. He did nothing. He's the one that allowed that to happen. It's his fault. Yes, did Eve take the fruit? You bet she did. But he was right there. He's the leader of his home. He wasn't protecting her. Men, that's what happens when we're passive and we sit back and don't do our, don't, we're not fulfilling our responsibility. The wife's going to try to step up and do that. And that's not the way God designed it. We cannot be passive. It's both the parent's responsibility to discipline, but it's the father who should be the leader. And I think that's why the text specifically provides a warning to fathers next, to not provoke their children. Fathers, do not provoke your children so they don't become discouraged. He didn't give that command to the wife, did he? He gave that command to fathers because we're the leaders of the home. Now, in other translations, the word that's used here is exasperate. The idea is the loving father must not exasperate their children to the point where they become discouraged. You see, when we correct our children, we want to break their will. We want to break their stubbornness. We want to break their disobedience. But we want to do it in a way that doesn't break their spirit. Break their will, but don't break their spirit. The goal is to lead our children to a willingness to obey in righteousness. And you know what? God takes the same approach with you and I. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. It also said, 
says that God disciplines us for our good. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, it says this. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Children need to feel the consequence of their rebellion so they can understand that disobedience always requires punishment. There has got to be accountability. To allow our children to get away with disobedience is in effect saying that we hate them. Did you know that? I know this is strong, but that's what God's word says right here. When we discipline our children, we're actually demonstrating that we love them. Now, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 and 14, reveal the bigger picture on why we need to train our children with discipline. Here's the bigger picture. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now, don't get caught up with the words rod or beat, as this is not a license for abuse. Okay, don't get caught up with that. That's exactly why in our text it said don't exasperate your children. Okay? We use the appropriate discipline to correct the behavior. Nothing more, nothing less. And the bigger picture here is that we are training our children for adulthood. If they can learn that there are consequences to sin, then eventually they will understand their need for a Savior. Salvation is the most important decision a child will ever make. That's why it's so critical for parents to train up their children in the way they should go. And discipline is an absolutely essential part of this training. And it very well could be what saves them from going to hell. That's the message of this proverb. So Paul gives clear commands to the members of the family. Wives submit. Husbands love. Children obey. And the framework for how all this happens is children to be aligned under their parents' authority, the wife to be aligned under her husband's authority, and everyone in the family to be aligned under Jesus, who is aligned under God. And the last relationship that Paul talks about in our text is employers to employees. Here's what he says. Beginning in verse 22, he says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Now at first glance, we see the idea of slavery, and we wonder, why did Paul not condemn slavery as evil? We've got to be very careful not to read our own time back into what was going on into the first century. Slavery during the Roman Empire era was extremely common. It was estimated that there were over 60 million slaves during this time. Now that would equate to half the Roman Empire. That's how prevalent slavery was. Slavery in that day had very little to do with race, contrary to what many of us think here in America. When we think of that word slavery, that's immediately what we think of. But slavery in this era was more about economics and social class. Slaves in the Roman Empire era held all kinds of positions. Some were teachers, some were doctors, some were artists or musicians. They held just about anything that you could imagine. 
It's very important to note that God's commands of submission here in this text are not an endorsement of slavery as an institution. It's simply that slavery in the Roman Empire era was the reality of the day. And the best way for us to apply this passage in the world that we live live in today is to look at it through the lens of employees and employers and how they interact with one another. So nothing says that we fear the Lord more than our obedience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's to hate evil. Now, I like to think of it as reverence that results in obedience. That's the fear of the Lord. But it's a continual awareness that you and I are in the presence of a holy and just and almighty God, and He will hold us accountable for our thoughts and for our words and for our actions. We can't say we fear the Lord if we're not obeying what He says, because otherwise that'd be a complete contradiction. So we must submit to our earthly masters in everything all the time, even earthly masters that we don't like because of our fear of the Lord. The key principle in this text is that when we submit to human authority, it demonstrates that we submit to God's authority. So we should be doing all of our work as if we're working for the Lord because he's our true employer. Paul goes on in our text in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, on how masters are to treat their bondservants, which today would be how employers are to treat their employees. He says this. He says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so today we talked about the practical instructions that Paul gave in our text that deal with the relationship between husbands and wives, children and parents, and husbands and wives or excuse me, and employers and employees. In all of these relationships, we've got to look above. We've got to look above so that we can truly understand our individual roles and our functions. For the marriage relationship, we look above because marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. Wives submit to their husbands in the same way as we as the bride of Christ, the church, submit to Jesus, and in the same way that Jesus submits to his Father. Husbands, we are to love our wives in the same way as Jesus loved the church. He laid down his very life for her. So you and I, husbands, ought to lay down our lives for our wives. And for the family relationship, we look above. Children are to obey their parents, and parents are to discipline their children. And for the work relationship, employees are to work as if they're working for the Lord. And employers are to treat them with fairness and respect because of our ultimate master in heaven. So the real question as we close today is, are you looking above in how to function in all these relationships? Look above. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the ultimate example in how we are to function and how we are to live in all of these relationships. And it's sad when we look out there today and we see how distorted our culture puts everything, puts a spin on everything so selfish, so sinful. And we just pray, Father, that we'll look to you for the wisdom on how we're to act and how we're to serve. Because if we follow your word, we're not going to go wrong, but we've got to be in your word in order to do that. And I just pray right now, Jesus, that you'd convict us of those things that we're not doing correctly in these relationships. We know, Lord, that your word tells us that your mercies are fresh every morning, and thank God for that. And that if we'll confess them, that you're faithful and just to forgive us. And so for those of us, Lord, that have been operating 
selfishly or operating in a way that is unbiblical, I pray right now that you convict us and we can make that right right now. Others of you may be here and you may not have even submitted to have that relationship with Jesus. And you recognize today that you want to. So if that's you and you want to make a commitment to follow the Lord, then I just ask that you raise your hand and I will pray for you. Anyone here want to make a commitment today to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. Others of you may be here and you recognize, you know, I've gotten it wrong and I want to get it right. And I know I can't get it right until I submit to you. And if that's you and you need prayer and you want me to pray for you, I ask that you slip up your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Father, I pray right now, Jesus, that you take care of those needs in our lives that um, we've been neglecting or that we've been abusing. And I pray right now, Jesus, that um, the blood by which you shed on the cross would set us free and you'd help us to walk in newness of life, as your word says. And we can put on what we talked about last week and interact with people the way that we're supposed to. We thank you, God, that um, you're a mighty God. Thank you for the family you've put together here. Thank you for the truth of your word. And we will walk in victory because of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, you need someone to pray for you, I just ask that you come forward and one of us will be up here. We'd be glad to pray with you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.